episode 79 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on May 28, 2018. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. Life event arrived early and the double XP event arrived late. I'll tell you what happened this week in the Old Republic. When last we visited Balmora, the Imperials were in full control, but the more they tightened their grip, the more the planet slips through their fingers. I return to my story project as the Republic looks to take back Balmora. And finally, I'll give you my spoiler free review of Solo, A Star Wars Story. You might want to buckle up. And with that, it's time to make the jump to light speed and check out the state of the Old Republic. Welcome to Episode 79 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. As always, let's start with some announcements for the Old Republic. This week's conquest is the Rakul Plague event on Alderaan. If you need to get Dr. Loken as a companion, this is the time to do it. Also, the double XP event ends on May 31st, so you only have a couple of more days to take advantage of that. And finally, if you want to qualify to receive the TF4 Rampage Speeder, you must have an active subscription by May 31st. You'll get the speeder on June 9th. And that is all of the announcements I have for today. Let's slice the holonet and get to the news this week. It was light on announcements, and it was very light on news this week. I was hoping that Bioware would start filling in the details of some of those bullet points from the summer roadmap, but we got nothing. In fact, the only news of note was an unintended change to the contraband slot machines. Apparently, some players noticed that they were giving out golden certificates, instead of cartel market certificates. And according to Eric Musco, it looks like this was an unintended unintended change in 5.9. This has since been corrected, and the contraband slot machines once again drop cartel market certs. If you notice this is not the case, let me know. Apparently it was a bug that has now been squashed. It should be noted that the drop rate on those certs is quite low. I think it's close to 1%. In fact, I talked about the certificates before, I believe it was on episode 40, which was released about a year ago, and here we are a year later, and nothing's changed. At some point, Bioware needs to figure out what to do here. For items such as the decoration vendor on the fleet, instead of certs, they can just sell those items for credits. I don't think there's any harm in that. As to the reputation vendors in the cartel bazaar, that's trickier. One option is to remove the certs as currency and just sell those items for credits and have the reputation be the only thing gating you from purchasing items. Now that Bioware can offer most items for direct sale in the cartel market, the items on those vendors are less rare and not as special. In fact, I noticed during the big cartel market sale, they had the named weapons such as the Fortitude Blasters up for sale. Last year, I noted that I had a bunch of cartel market certificates collecting dust in my legacy bank, and that has not changed. I don't want to spend them until I know what their fate is going to be. 
Other than that, the only thing that happened this past week is the Nightlife event went live early and the Double XP event went live a day late. Eric explained a bit about how their maintenance works. The bottom line is we lost a day here and that's that. I love these Double XP events and I wish they would either have them last longer or run them more frequently. My goal this time around was what I called Execute Order 56 and that was to get my eight story characters all to at least level 56, which I was able to do. And why 56? Well, it was just a place where I could buy new mods and enhancements off the fleet vendors. That's it. And speaking of my eight story characters, I now want to return to the story project that I've been working on the last few months. What I'm attempting to do is play all eight classes and move them through their class, companion, and planetary stories all at once. The goal is to find a playthrough that works chronologically. I'm not going for canon. I've completed the prologue and Act 1 for everyone, and I'm now ready to begin Act 2. Before I begin, I want to warn you that I'm going to get into spoilers and plot points and play some clips. So if you haven't done all of the class stories or other stories that are part of the 1-50 to experience, this is your cue to exit. As a reminder, I'm going to refer to the characters as he or she, based on the gender I chose for my characters. It just makes it easier to talk about them. There is absolutely nothing about the story that suggests you must choose a specific gender for a class. Although there are certain story moments you can only experience as male or female, some of them quite good. At the end of Act 1, some of the heroes got a little time off, while others kept moving right along. Everyone has off-world actions that serve to transition from Act 1 to Act 2. I'm not going to cover those in a lot of detail, mainly because I don't believe there is a set order uh, to who does what and when, but this does raise the question of what am I trying to accomplish here? When it comes to defining a chronology, there are a couple of ways you can go about this. One is to identify chronological markers within each story that indicates thing A happens before thing B. The other way is to piece things together based on your own headcanon on how things are playing out. An example of this is the last part of the Imperial Agent story on Droman Kaas. If you recall, this is where Darth Jadis's ship is destroyed above Kaas City, and Jadis and all aboard are assumed dead. This is the chaos that ensued from that incident. What's the situation? It's good to see you. There was a secondary target. Apparently... Watcher 2, I still need confirmation. And you, Agent, get ready to move. We need everyone operational. Sorry, sir, but there were over 3,000 people on that ship, half of them civilians. I'm aware of that. Do your job, Watcher 2. Run the numbers. Lockdown procedures are in place. All traffic has been grounded. Initial analysis is done. Cross-checking with the droids. Getting conflicting reports from the Car City spaceport. Trying to sort it out. Nothing could have survived that explosion. All sources confirm casualties are 100%. Then Darth Jadis is dead. One could argue that if the Sith Inquisitor, Sith Warrior, and Bounty Hunter are still on planet when this happens, there's no way it doesn't impact them. This is why I recommended that this be the last thing that happens on Droman Kass before everyone moves on. The The idea being the others have already moved on and the agent is the only one there. Again, that's just my interpretation. There is nothing in any of the stories that mandates the agent go last. I mention this because while the earlier planets were 
overly forgiving in coming up with an order of play, I found Balmora for the Republic to be a little trickier. Before we head there, let me set up the story for you. The Jedi Council has learned that the Emperor has a secret fortress in orbit above Droman Kaas. The Jedi Knight is to be part of a strike team that infiltrates this fortress, and to do that, they need to retrieve some special technology on Balmora. The Jedi Consular is aiding a group of Republic sympathizers known as the Rift Alliance. One of its members is Ty Corden, an exiled official of the Balmoran government. The Consular is going to Balmora to help end the Imperial occupation and restore Balmora's government. The smuggler is working with his friend Darmus Polarin and Republic Senator Bavera Dodana as a privateer. His job is to eliminate the Republic's enemies any way he sees fit, and the Republic is willing to turn a blind eye. The smuggler's first job is to retrieve ships and munitions related to a Project Nebula on Balmora. Finally, Havoc Squad's next mission is to take out an Imperial superweapon known as the Gauntlet. These are super cannons capable of shooting ships out of hyperspace. To succeed, Havoc Squad needs the best men. One of these best men is a disgraced demolitions expert named Tenno Vic. Vic was kicked out of the Republic military and is now aiding the resistance on Balmora. So that's the story thus far for the Republic. Let's now head to the war-torn world of Balmora, where the Imperial occupation is about to come to an end. One of their proposed orders for Balmora is Republic Trooper, Smuggler, Jedi Knight, and Jedi Consular. Not bad, but I think there's a lot more going on here so that a straight order like this doesn't necessarily work. What I will say is while the Jedi Consular doesn't necessarily need to go last, she absolutely needs to finish last. This is the end of the Jedi Consular story on Balmora. Well done, President Corden. The Republic and the Jedi are with you. As my first act... I've drafted a formal request for Balmora to join the Republic. Is there anything you'd like to say on this historic occasion, Master Jedi? You all stand on the threshold of a new beginning. For Balmora, and for the Republic that waits to embrace you. And I hope the Jedi Order will always be a part of that future. I have a few points of business to... As you can see, Balmora has its government back, and President Ty Corden has pledged to join the Republic. Now contrast that with the end of the smuggler story on Balmora. My goodness, Captain. It is a relief to see you hale and hearty after everything you've been through. Master Newman, Master Newman, the Captain has returned. Are you sure you're not Balmoran, Captain? I can't name one person who's done more for the Resistance. The Imperials are going nuts about losing the Nebula shipment. I didn't know the Emperor let them use that kind of language. They're not going through your towns and killing every man taller than a vibroblade, right? Uh, they did that already. Luckily, we grow them short and feisty. I just hope the Republic is willing to sell us some of it back. We need those Nebula prototypes. I might be able to arrange that. For a small finder's fee. Oh? Oh, I hear ya! <laughs> Senator Dodonna's gonna love that. Have your man send me the price. 
We may not have our planet, but we've got some fat mattresses full of credits, you know? Oh, Master Newman, I just heard a broadcast. The Void Wolf ordered half the top Imperial leadership here executed. It's a good day for the Resistance. Thanks again, Captain. As Newman tells the smuggler, the Empire is still in control, but they had a good day. So clearly to me, the smuggler needs to finish before the consular and before the planetary story ends as well. Unless you choose to have the smuggler do the planetary story. This is where things start to get murky, because the planetary story can be done by anyone, but it effectively ends the occupation on Balmora. Welcome back. I wanted to be the first to congratulate you. My team's working on the barrage are now. They're already looking into duplicating the weapon on other worlds. The Imperials are fleeing in droves, afraid we'll finish before their ships clear the planet. Balmora's free. That's good news. With the Empire on the way out, all that's left is cleaning up the mess. I'll be out of a job soon. You secured the Barrager, stormed the Gorinth Brig, freed Sobrik. The Republic is completely in your debt. The Empire has to learn that independent worlds aren't theirs to take. Balmora's been an effective lesson. If war breaks out, the Republic will be ready. There's a lot of work ahead, but Balmora's free. That's what's important. Good luck to you. Now, the planetary story doesn't conflict with the Jedi Consular story. If anything, it complements it. In terms of order, I would say complete the planetary story before completing the Consular story. As to who should do the planetary story, well, that's up to you. I like having the trooper do it because it's a military story, but anyone can do it. If you have the consular do the planetary story, then I would have her finish that first and then finish the last part of her story. If you have anyone else do it, I would have them finish their class story first and then finish the planetary story, but I would also have the character go third. Truth be told, you probably want to mix and match a little bit here and move some of the characters through Balmora at the same time. Again, this is that headcanon I was talking about, but keep in mind, here is what happens when the smuggler goes to Sobrick. Captain, I don't know who you got to rig Camp Vigil, but that place is going to burn for weeks. We've been checking Imperial communications. They're going crazy. It's the first time they've been seriously scared we could win. They're talking about bringing back the Void Wolf to contain us. I guess the delousing wasn't too traumatic. I'm not saying it was fun in there, but I will never forget watching that place go up in flames. Oh. So I had a chance to go through the files you got from Golden, and I've got great news. He's acquired the access codes for the research base where the Nebula shipment is being stored. Let me guess. The most heavily defended spot on all of Balmora. Normally, sure. Most days you couldn't walk two meters without hitting a patrol. But today, they're grabbing every warm body to retake Sobrick and Camp Vigil. There'll never be a better time to strike. I completely had that in mind when I came to get you. It was a finely choreographed dance. He and Akavi blow the prison sky high. This is not a small event, and it's hard to place this in the greater story. And here is what happens in the planetary story after you finish with Sobrick. Commander Maydeen, I was told you wanted to speak with me. Sobrick is free, and we have you to thank. A battalion should be in the city soon, though it'll be a long slog. You've proven your commitment to Balmora and the Republic. I've been authorized to ask for your help with a top-secret mission. We've already invaded Imperial territory and liberated Sobrik. What's left? The 
general public didn't even know this objective existed. As you can see, the imps are done. They have been kicked out of Sobrik and no longer control that spaceport. As I said, piecing together Balmora for the Republic is tricky. And one other thing that happens in the Trooper story is that Taino Vic blows a giant hole in the Balmoran arms factory. It's done. The shield generator is disabled. Just what I wanted to hear. I'm dying to launch this baby. Target coordinates locked in. Fire. The imps are really going to feel this one. Just remember who helped you pull this off. I'll never forget it. Believe me. I can't wait to shake your hand, Captain. See you soon. So in the interest of coming up with an order here, this is my recommendation for Balmora. Jedi Knight through Sobrik, Jedi Consular through Sobrik, Trooper through Sobrik, Smuggler through Sobrik, Planetary Story through Sobrik. Smuggler to the end... Jedi Knight to the end, Trooper to right before Vic blows a hole in the factory, then the planetary story through the factory, the Jedi Consular through the arms factory, and then Tano Vic blows up the factory, and then the Trooper to the end, then the conclusion of the planetary story, and then the Jedi Consular where Ty Corden is made president and Balmora joins the Republic. I know that's confusing, but I think that kind of works. How well it plays out depends on who you decide to do the planetary story. For example, if you get the smuggler to do the planetary story, that changes things considerably, and you probably want the smuggler story to end before you finish the planetary story. Long story short, just like the Imperial occupation and the Republic leaving the Balmorans high and dry not once, but twice, the story order on Balmora is a giant cluster. One final note on Balmora, each class gets a new companion here. The Jedi Knight gets Doc, the Consular is Zenith, the Trooper recruits Vic, and Akabi Spar joins the Smuggler. And if you recall, once you get into the companion conversations with Zenith, you see how it ties back to the Imperial Agent story. Meanwhile, I've been studying the Terracell structure, and there's good news. If we can take out the local leader, the cell should fall apart. What do we know about this person? The terrorists call the man in charge Grey Star. He runs the cell, gives the orders, and knows all the secrets. They claim Grey Star used to work with the Eagle, but who can be sure? Only the high-ranking cell members know Grey Star's identity. Do you have any theories about Grey Star? I don't need more theories. I need proof. I have a mole inside the terrorist cell already. He's a good lad. No cipher, though. He can bring you in. You'd have the opportunity to impress the terrorists with their trust. And gain access to their leader. Precisely. Greystar will be ours. Greystar said a friend is an enemy waiting to happen, and vice versa. He was leader of the resistance cell I first joined on Balmora. Taught me plenty. Before everything changed. He was a good man. Almost sharp enough. Greystar was betrayed. 
last Empire got an operative into our cell. We intercepted unusual communications from the Republic forces alluding to one of their people being assassinated. Well, before Sanju Pine died, he sent us some fascinating data. We put the pieces together and realized that you'd killed Greystar. We scattered, but kept up the fight. Without Greystar, the surviving terrorists will run amok for a few weeks, but soon enough, we'll round them all up. The Dalmoran cell is no longer a threat. The other cells in the Eagle's network will no longer receive fresh recruits and supplies from this world. War's over. But we lost too much. In Liberating Balmora, the Jedi Counselor also kills Darth Lacris, who played a big part in the Imperial story on Balmora. That's going to do it for the Republic story on Balmora. Everyone is now headed to Quesh. But before I cover that, I need to tell you what the Imperials are up to on Terrace. I'll have that for you next week. I now want to get into my spoiler-free review of Solo, A Star Wars Story. It opened this past weekend to mixed reviews and lower-than-expected results at the box office, made about $104 million. Just because no one is anointing Solo, the second coming of The Empire Strikes Back, doesn't mean it's a bad movie, and like all things Star Wars, all that really matters is whether or not you liked it. If you are willing to lower your sky-high expectations and check your headcanon at the door, then Solo A Star Wars Story will take you on a marvelous journey. If not, you may feel like the film is taking you for a ride. Solo is good, but it's not great. It's a planet-hopping space western where spaceships and conveyances replace horses and trains, and it's a fun ride. As expected, the film covers Han's greatest hits as recounted in A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back, and therein lies part of the problem. Solo suffers from what most prequels do, and that's we already know what's going to happen. As a result, these key events in Solo's life sometimes feel less like they're part of the story and more like they're part of a game of Star Wars bingo. They're there because they had to be, not because the writers wanted them to. To be fair, the cast-ins were up against creating new moments that differed from the same tales told in the expanded universe, which are not canon, as well as each fan's notion of how these events should play out. Luckily, they are just part of a larger story, one that's driven by a strong cast of characters. If I have one complaint, it's that there were too many good characters and not enough story to do them all justice. I wanted to get to know all of them much better than I actually did. One of the big concerns was whether Alden Ehrenreich could pull off the act of playing Han Solo. At no point in the film did I feel like I wasn't watching Han Solo, nor did I feel like I was watching a Harrison Ford parody. But Ehrenreich didn't quite inhabit the character the same way that Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto transformed themselves into Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock in J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. To judge Ehrenreich's performance, though, you don't need to look outside the films. You only need to look at Donald Glover's portrayal of Lando Calrissian. Solo becomes a hundred times better when Lando and his sidekick droid L3 enter the story. If there is a sequel to Solo, Lucasfilm should consider doing it in the form of a Lando Calrissian film, and there are rumors that may happen. There is certainly room for more story. Not only do the Kasdans connect Solo to a galaxy far, far away's other films, they connect it to the saga's other works, such as comics and animated television. And they do so in spectacular fashion, a mind-blowing twist that rewards fans who engage Star Wars beyond the films. Outside of this one moment, there are plenty of other Easter eggs that will have die-hard fans examining Solo like it's the Zabruder film when it's released to home video. 
in an attempt to dazzle fans and demonstrate that these films are being made by people who know as much about Star Wars as we do, they've gone deep into the well with references that cover books, comics, and games. Minor spoiler here, I heard Han reference boosting AV-21 speeders in his youth on Corellia. For those that don't know, the AV-21 speeder was first introduced in the video game Star Wars Galaxies. It was very hard to get, and it was my pride and joy. Like I said, they went deep into the well on this one. I don't know where to rank Solo in the pantheon of Star Wars films. I certainly put it near the top of the four newest films. What I do know is on a day when I'm sick or just in need of a simple Star Wars pick-me-up, Solo, A Star Wars Story is one of the first films I'll grab off the shelf. Final note for today, I want to thank Marcus B., Dr. Swotor, and the rest of the Death Star Troopers team for letting me run with them again this past Sunday. We had a fun time smashing the Dread Fortress. Note to self, probably want to stick one of my 34 tunes in the AIE Guild. And that's going to wrap it up for today. Let me cut in the sublight engines and cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 79 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and Buzzsprout. You can also listen to the show directly from the show's site, which is SotorPodcast.com, and there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at SotorPodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions to at SotorPodcast or send me a direct message. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Look for episode 80, probably on or around June 5th. Until then, remember the Sith Code. Cake is alive.